And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Hey, people, it's a crowded world out there. There's a lot of people that are doing a lot of different things. And the fact is, you probably have a lot of competition. And guess what? If you don't, you probably will. That's just the way things go. I've learned in the course of my time being an entrepreneur that competition's everywhere. And you have to figure out a good way to stand out, especially in crowded industries. That's exactly what I'm going to talk about with today's guest. But before I get too far into that or who that is, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io. We help you build software teams quickly and affordably. Let's take the headache out of getting the tech team that you really want and that you really need and try to land that in a place and a price that makes sense for you. With me today, I've got Ashish Desai, and he is the co-founder and sales director at Menufy, online delivery and takeout. And man, that is a crowded industry. We're going to get all into that. But first, Ashish, welcome to Startup Hustle. Well, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the visibility. Yeah, and I appreciate you joining me. I, it's, it's almost lunchtime here, so I'll pr- I might place an order during today's show. Now, I like to say that no one tells the backstory better than the founders, CEOs, and people that get a company started. So what's your backstory? Um, so we are pretty unique in a lot of ways. Um, a few things about us is we are a bootstrap startup, so we're no longer in the startup phase. We are well beyond that, um, you know, we have 13,000 restaurants nationwide. So, um, and uh, we also have, we're pretty unique in the way that we have a lot of co-founders. We have eight principal co-founders, uh, which is a really big number. You've probably not seen that in too many startups, uh, but it's kind of part of our secret sauce. Um, so, you know, uh, three of us come from restaurant operations backgrounds. Uh, we have uh one marketing specialist and four engineers um, from various backend to front end UI specialists. So, um, you know, we're really unique in the fact that we basically divided it up eight different ways uh, for all of our founders. Um, and uh, yeah, so we started in restaurant operations. Um, and then my brother, who's a software developer, he's currently our CEO, Sharmel uh, Desai. Uh, you know, he developed uh, software for the restaurant that both Hong and I worked for and Sean, one of our other founders. Um, and then we made that website uh, capable to take online orders. And then from there, we made it uh, templated, templated and scalable to other restaurants. And this basically piecemeal started adding restaurants and, you know, kind of grew to the size. I mean, there's a lot in there, but uh, kind of grew to the size that we are now. Um, slowly and surely, and now we're kind of in a, in a an about doubling in size every year kind of phase. So, yep. 
Well, if you are interested in learning more about what Menufy does, there is a link in the show notes. It's menu, just like it sounds, fy.com. All right, so let's just jump right in. You know, you've obviously got a lot of competition, um, meaning the space, there's there's other things that are out there and some unicornish type companies. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you've got the DoorDashes and Grubhub and stuff like that and, and competing with Uber Eats and, and, you know, any of that. So, you know, how do you, that, that's a, that's stepping into now those, those businesses have grown tremendously over the years. I think what five years, maybe even five years ago, some of those might not even have existed. Mm-hmm. So as you've seen all this, this VC and, and different type of money flowing in, um, how are you, what are you doing and how are you standing out with the likes of, of some of these rapidly growing competitors? Yeah. Um, I mean, without, at the risk of sounding cliche, you know, we really focus on our operators. We focus on our restaurants and our users and what, what they want. Um, so you know, part of standing out for us is really making a solid, solid product. And I think, um, you know, without that element, it's really kind of pointless. Um, you know, you could think like back in the space, uh, just, a, I'd say five, six years ago, even Amazon tried to get into the food delivery space and they have tons of recognition, but it, it got nowhere. And the reason for that is you kind of really have to be very restaurant focused. So, um, you know, when we first started, we focused on restaurants by, you know, um, working with our beta partners and having them give us as many features as they possibly wanted in all different ways. Um, you know, delivery logistics, reporting, uh, order notifications, advanced ordering, that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's kind of been our focus is just stay uh, focused on making a great product and focus on the people that are using it. And that's kind of been our, our strategy. Um, you know, now we have, um, you know, we have a, a decent footprint. Um, so, you know, exposure is important as well, um, kind of just getting our names out there. So we do things like trade shows and print and, uh, you know, digital ads and that kind of stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you're hemorrhaging your users, your restaurants, um, you know, it's, there's no point in having name recognition or really um, standing out unless you can, you know, keep, keep your operators happy. So um, it's kind of been a big focus. Um, yeah. In the restaurant industry, like what kind of stuff keeps an operator happy? Well, yeah. So of late, um, I think it probably goes without saying, but you know, uh, contactless delivery, uh, advanced ordering, um, those types of things are going to be critical for an operator. Uh, uh, curbside pickup, you know. So during the pandemic, you know, everyone's got a COVID angle, right? So during the um, during the pandemic, we were scrambling to figure out what was going to happen. You know, we were losing operator, we we're losing restaurants left and right uh, in March, uh, and not really knowing what's gonna what the future holds. And of course, you know, our restaurant partners start calling and and asking for certain things, um, just like that, with curbside pickup and advance ordering things that we kind of had in place. But you know, curbside pickup and contactless delivery are something we added in a couple weeks, uh, just because it instantly became relevant, right? So. Yeah, so I was I was recently uh, uh, listening to the audio version of Simon Sinek's "Start with Why," and mm-hmm. uh, 
you know, I, my, my, my kids have become obsessed with Pokemon go. So I decided to become obsessed with it, which means that I've been walking around finding Pokestops cause I've got to keep up with them. So I, I had yes. to bundle something that felt useful into that. So I started listening to some audiobooks again, but I was listening to, you know, and, and you know, Simon's obviously a really well-known author and you, know, you see a lot of people quoting and, and putting up a lot of things he says, he's got a lot of valid information and uh, so much of the why that he talks about. And, uh, you know, this really resonated with me recently was the messaging and the mission of your business really needs to be a, a, about the recipient of the message, not about you. And that's where a lot of businesses don't stand out because they're kind of, they're like, Hey, buy food from us, order food online. But that doesn't necessarily speak to, to the, to the, the person that is going to prepare the food and sell the food through you. And, you know, mm -hmm. part of that, that uh, failure to differentiate. So a lot of, you know, he was, I, I found a lot of really interesting points in what he was talking about. I was really comparing air, the airline industry and so many of them like, hey, you know, we have an airplane and we fly it from point A to point B. And, and they were thinking that they would differentiate, hey, it's cheaper or we have popcorn or some shit like that, you know, and it's like, and, and they're, and they're going through this and it wasn't really a, a real differentiator. And, you, you know, and the, the whole point in the book was that so many companies think they're creating something different, but they're not, you know? So it, I, I think that when it comes to standing out, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's always a challenge and, you know, we're sitting here talking about it. I mean, my business full scale, this is a sponsor of the show. We, we sell web development services. Hey, there's a lot of people that sell web development services. So how do you stand out? And I'll just use this as a living, breathing example. This show is an example of how we differentiate ourselves a little bit. And I mean, and it's a really <laughs> It's a really, but it's, and, but there was intent behind that, you know, and that was the, and it, you know, the show started uh, as it was real. Matt Watson and I wanted to complain about being entrepreneurs. True story. <laughs> I mean, that yeah. is really the origin story of startup hustle. Uh, episode two is titled getting funded sucks. Um, and you know, we just decided, we said, Hey, you know, you have to know Matt a, a little, a little too, and know me to know that, we aren't the most, we aren't the most in the box people, you know, we, we're so like, we marked all the episodes explicit, even though we don't swear in all of them. But there's a lot of it. It was like, hey, let's just come out of the box and let's just say, let's just say it like it is. Let's, let's not sugarcoat any of this. And, but part of that differentiation strategy was really helpful because it truly allowed us to sit down with guys like you, companies like yours and say, hey, look, we know what it's like to wake up at two in the morning and want to pull your hair out or not be able to go back to sleep because you feel like you've gone crazy or every decision you made is wrong or you're going to go broke yeah. or any of that. But that, that sleepless, uh, sleepless nights. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. but 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 here's the thing, though, is is but that resonated and that sat very that that was received very well by the people that we wanted to do business with, because I think on many levels. Well, and many have expressed to us later, like, well, we feel like you guys get us like, you right. know, like what, like, and that, and so much of our business really is built around, um, you know, like I said, it's, I mean, we specialize in high quality service providers, but the thing is, is it's like really what we specialize in is peace of mind. 
Mm-hmm. And that peace of mind doesn't have a price. It really is. Peace of mind truly is priceless in many regards because you can't, you, it's hard to buy if you can buy it. And then, by the way, if you know where to buy peace of mind, please reach out You can <laughs> contact me any number of ways you can figure that out. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, that differentiation strategy um, is I think really important for standing out. And like you also mentioned, I think you have a good point with the product uh, side of things. And, you know, people are growing rapidly impatient uh, mm-hmm. with everything. So if it's, you know, if it doesn't work, and then I guess if we went down to the basic kind of 101 business course, the professor would say, you have to do things better, faster, or cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, you, need to, you need to be real, you need to be aces at two out of three of those things, not necessarily all three, but yeah. it, it, all three doesn't hurt. So, okay. So uh, a couple a couple other questions. How, how long have you guys been doing Manufy? So since uh, 2009. Um, and the interesting thing is like when you mentioned differentiators, the couple things that differentiated us from the beginning are still things that are really big strengths of ours right now. And it kind of speaks to operators because we like, there's a couple things. And I, I know, um, my brother's probably not going to want me to mention price, but our price is very unique. Um, you know, we charge a dollar 50 per order and most of the competitors out there are doing a percentage model. Percentage, that, yeah. And that instantly made us unique. Um, and then that paired with what we do on the branding side is we focus on the restaurant's brand. So if you go to a different online ordering platform, you'll typically see the prominent, uh, prominent display of that uh, company's brand and then a tiny you know, little logo for whatever the restaurant is. And we kind of do the opposite is we want to white label everything for the restaurant. Um, and so when you order from, I'll just say Joe's Pizza, you know, when you order from Joe's Pizza, the brand is prominently, their brand is prominently displayed. The email that the consumer receives is from Joe's email, uh, from Joe's Pizza. So we try to differentiate ourselves there. It's something that rest- some restaurants want and some just don't necessarily care about. If they want another third-party delivery platform, they can do that. But a lot of restaurants want their own brand prominently displayed. They want um their restaurant to be the center of everything and we try to build that out for them um you know i know i listened to a few other podcasts and i did notice somewhere um there was uh the one with the spac and i'm like oh wow is this going to be hyper technical and am i (laughs) i hope i don't let matt down uh and then i heard another one uh with like uh the cleaning the cleaning company which i thought was fantastic i love the the startup story there uh, but he was casually swearing throughout the whole thing. And I'm just curious, do I have, <laughs> do I have permission do you have to do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the funny thing was, that, so we have a, we have a, a, a Facebook group, the, the Startup Hustle chat. If you anyone wants to join it, just go to Facebook and type in Startup Hustle. You'll find the chat. But I, I put polls and ask questions up and, uh, you know, ask questions for the group pretty regularly and get some entertaining answers. And it's, uh, and, and one, about a year ago, I asked a question. I said, what's one thing that you've definitely learned as an entrepreneur? And we got about a hundred comments on that. And the best one was I learned how many different ways I can use the word fuck in a sentence. <laughs> and I, and I was like, that's it. Let's send that dude a trophy. Cause that really explained a lot of it. Yeah. So that's why we had to market explicit. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's also kind of funny if you get a job with me, I actually do sit you down. Uh, if you're applying for a job, there is a point where I sit you down. I'm like, Hey, look, I'm just going to be honest. 
if you don't like the F word, this probably is not <laughs> the right place for you to come work. I'm just being honest, like, cause I don't want you to be unhappy. I don't want you to quit a job and come over here and be like, wow. Yeah. Where's the swear jar? So yeah. I probably it's, just made myself look like a sailor, but you know. Yeah. No, if, swe if swearing proficiency is, uh, is important then you know i think uh or if, if it's a concern then i don't know if sales is the right job for you <laughs> yeah that's another thing too yeah that's uh yeah so uh, or building software um you know and that's a challenge you know let's let's talk about that for a second because you know you were talking about the product and you know when you're competing with these companies that are just stupidly venture venture backed you know like hundreds of millions of dollars and i mean that's tough to keep up with am i it's got to be right Yes, it is a daunting task. Uh, I mean, we found our niche in in, in between here, um, but yeah, the, I mean, think just the software. Uh, what's the SoftBank money? Just the software, SoftBank money alone. Let's go into companies like DoorDash is absurd. It, you know, in the yeah. you know billions of dollars. So um, yeah, I mean, it's daunting, but you got to kind of find what you know. We like I said with the branding is we do something unique that the other um, Third parties really don't want to do, and it and it, and it makes sense because they're app focused. You know, get people to that platform, uh, search for restaurants, order food, and we we have that. Um, but yeah, it is uh, we we we've always been the little guy. Um, but that that's kind of the interesting thing about being the scrappy underdog is uh, you always have an advantage because you can you can be nimble. Um, you know, you can turn on a dime. Uh, like I said, you know, you, we can add contactless delivery in a day if we needed to, and it doesn't have to be 10 meetings and uh, having a, a million parties involved. So things like that have kind of, you have to use as an advantage. Um, but, you know, as far as like uh, how we work with these other par uh, third parties is, you know, we kind of, um, we have a direct relationship with the restaurant, whereas either you're a tiny online ordering company or you're a big uh, multinational with, you know, tons of funding and we're right in the middle. So, uh, the way we, you know, the way we've done that is we kind of work with DoorDash and we work with uh, Uber Eats and we'll, uh, you know, we negotiate the rates lower for our, for our restaurants uh, because we have scale. We have 13,000 restaurants behind us. So we can kind of negotiate a little bit better with DoorDash and Postmates and, and Uber Eats. Well, Postmates doesn't exist anymore necessarily, uh, but we negotiate those rates lower. And then, um, you know, what, from the restaurant standpoint, they prefer their brand to be displayed. And then all the workflow is the same for the user. If they want carry out or if they want delivery, they just switch between the two. And if they choose delivery, then we would just send the order over to DoorDash or um, Uber Eats and kind of manage the logistics on the back end. So user's not super aware of it. The restaurant's kind of pretty happy since everything's seamless for their users. And you know, even DoorDash and, and uh, Uber Eats wins in that scenario. They still get their volume orders, they still get a relationship with the restaurant. And, you know, and of course we win from that situation too. So it's kind of, you got to kind of find your angle. Um, we're trying to get bigger and maybe we can throw our weight around too, but punching above our weight is always kind of part of the deal. If you're a, a, a startup, you're going to have to fake it till you make it and punch above your weight. Otherwise you'll get buried alive. Yeah, I don't, I, I agree with you. I know one of the things that, you know, with the restaurant industry, so I, I used to work in the music industry and this seems like a thousand years ago, but uh, for me, you know, it started in the music, in the musical instrument uh, business. And this was, uh, you know, in the mid 
two thousands to two thousand, you know, early two thousands to two thousand and nine, and um, I saw this uh, this fundamental change begin to occur during that that nearly ten years I worked in that industry, and it, it, you know, restaurants I believe in some ways are going through a similar thing, but the indus some industries are fragmented, meaning there are a, a, a million tiny pieces of the industry everywhere. And it's like you say fragmented, it's almost like shattered glass, you know, because, uh, you know, we're here in Kansas City and Ishish and I are here both in Leewood, Kansas, which is a small suburb uh, south of Kansas City. And, you know, you say you use Joe's Pizza as an example. Well, Joe's Pizza might be a one of one. And, you know, one of one industry or one of one location for everything. And there's the restaurants like that are like that everywhere. In the music industry, we had all these ma and pa, you know, stores that had come along. And the problem with fragmented industries is when your Joe's Pizza or Dan's Guitar Shop or whatever, you're a small industry, you're a small enterprise and you don't have the ability to do things like uh, build your own, like, well, customize, build and, and have e-commerce or uh, websites, custom websites, delivery websites and stuff like that. So, you know, I would think that one of the things I see you guys do a lot of that and the custom websites and the different stuff, like, is that, you know, as you mentioned, some, some businesses don't, they want their own brand, but they don't have the resources to go and do that. So like when I worked in the music industry, you saw uh, like, well, Guitar Center was one of them, which was like the Walmart of musical instruments, but they were so big and they were everywhere. And they had this, uh, you know, and so the company I worked for uh, was uh, acquired and joined together with six other companies into what is commonly referred to as a hub and spoke model, meaning you centralize some resources and you have all these spokes that kind of spin off of it and you don't have as much operating costs and stuff like that. Um, now, I also, during my tenure in that business, watched 65% of these fragmented companies end up failing and going out of business. And a lot of them were, were beat up and destroyed by e-commerce. So mm -hmm. part of the thing was, is like, you look at like a guitar pedal that's easily shipped and you can send it from, you can sell it from anywhere. So, mm -hmm. you know, so with that, that the bigger, the better logistics companies won, the companies that had bigger buying power and a lot of things, you know, really kind of the, the, the small, the small businesses were unable to differentiate and stand out. And in the end price one. Um, mm -hmm. So is, is anything like that going on? I feel like that some of that has to be occurring, especially over this last year, because you see so much, so many headlines and so much stuff that just so many businesses were, I don't know. It just seems like the restaurant and food service industry got flipped upside down in some regards. And then it seems like some of them may have like grown in multiples over the last year and a half. I mean, how, how is that, how is all the COVID stuff and the fragmentation and all of that, how, how is that affecting your business and this industry in general? Like, where do you see it going? Yeah. I mean, I wish I had that, that magic eight ball to tell me where it's going, but you know, I, think, <laughs> you know, I, I think the dust is settling. And I think what we're going to find is um, it's like, it's like a mutation, you know, something in the industry, has changed and we're going to see the restaurants that survive um, had some commonalities and those things may just continue to exist in all restaurants. 
Um, it's like a, you know, there, yeah, there's a lot of different elements that happened during COVID and now does it, does it stay that way? Do dining floors open back up? Do dining floors go away? I don't I mean, I don't think so, but I mean, in the restaurant industry, things have changed so much back, you know, back when there was diners and a dry and the, uh, things like Sonic, like drive, drive, uh, pull, like pull in or drive, drive ups, um, started, people thought that that was going to kill the diner. And it didn't. It kind of just revamped, and some of the stronger diners survived and, and rethought their model, and they still exist today. Um, and then they saw. Then we saw the drive-through, and they were, oh, this is the end of drive-ups. This is going to be the end of diners, and that didn't happen either. It just kind of became a portion of what we see as the restaurant industry, and I think that's what's basically happening now. Is you know, at first it was like, oh, only e-commerce will be the way. You know, you have to have third-party delivery, and may maybe you don't. Maybe um, it's going to be a little bit of each, and it may segment the industry. But um, I'm really interested in, to see what will happen when the dust settles. We want to be a part of the solution um, when it does. So, you know, we've been doing things um, to help operators like POS integrations, uh, inventory management. That kind of stuff is going to be key. Is like we keep keep going. We have to keep making a better and better product um, to, to to keep up. You know, um, but I think. Um, who knows what's going to happen to the dining floor? Um, you know, even commercial real estate is going to have a factor. Uh, factor. Food costs are going to have a factor. Um, there's so many moving parts. There's so many variables that um, you know a lot of people have started to adapt. Um, like Martin City, you're not too far. From, if you're in Leewood, you're not too far from Martin City. Uh, and I actually use them in, as an example before. Is you know they ended up hiring people during the pandemic because they had figured out okay, dining floor is going to close. My servers are now going to be people that do curbside my servers may have been converted to delivery and that part of the game is uh, it's unpredictable you have to be smart and quickly adapt otherwise you know and now even now things are going to adapt how are they going to manage their opening their dining floor back up you know so there's uh there's going to be a ton of variables and i'm not i'm not really sure if every any one restaurant or any one uh digital platform is going to have all the solutions for them but um we're feverishly looking to make sure that we're we're fitting what our clients need, and you know that might be dine in, that might be kiosk ordering, you know more POS integrations, and all that stuff's going to be in our pipeline. Is they're going to need it, and we we want to be there to make sure that um, you know our our operators stay successful. You, you use the example of Sonic uh, a few minutes back, and I think Sonic's actually a really good example because. Um, Sonic is, I think, a good example of adaptation because uh, let's be realistic. The drive up, push the button, order, the girl comes out on the roller skates and brings you, you know, your food. Mm -hmm. That's about as archaic as it gets. Like that model was later defeated by the drive up. Um, but at the same time, Sonic was possibly the first major, quote, fast food provider to have a a really cutting edge app, you know, they were like, and they put tens of millions of dollars into it. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, so, cause they, you know, they were able to look at their model and that, okay, their differentiator was, Hey, well, you can pull up and do all your stuff here and you can eat, eat here. And that made them different. But then that fell behind because it just wasn't quick. It wasn't easy. Mm -hmm. It wasn't convenient. So they were really the first uh, that I noticed the first company that really had an app. 
you know, where you could order it and then you pull up and then they bring it right out. So it kind of removed that waiting element. And, mm -hmm. you know, some other things like, uh, you know, like the, the Sonic commercials, the, the guys in the car, yeah. um, those guys apparently are like wildly successful as far as marketing campaigns go. And, and you're sitting there listening you're going, how the fuck does the course, you know, all this stuff about fast food? Well, first off I'm big, so I eat a lot. Um, so yeah, I keep up with this stuff. I want to know who can feed me the fastest, but I'm just kind of a nerd for this stuff. And I, and I look at it and I, you know, and I remember thinking, and it was, I mean, geez, like five or six years ago. And I was like, why the hell is Sonic developing an app? You know, and now everyone's, you know, kind of kind of doing that. So in that regard, is that is that something that's a threat to what you do? Like other operators, like some of the or, or is that or is that still a luxury that's reserved for the McDonald's, the Sonics, the Burger Kings? Um, you know, because Joe Joe's Pizza and Dan's guitar shop are never gonna have the resources, or 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 do we or do you, is it a white label thing going forward? Mm -hmm. Who knows? Like, I mean, what yeah. how, what do you see with that? Uh, it's such a huge lift for us to do. I mean, I would love to do loyalty well. We don't believe in doing anything unless we do it really well. But yeah, it's like the way of the future for um, because like small mom and pops is like our key, our key demographic, I guess, or our, you know, our target market. And they don't really have the capacity to do that necessarily, you know, uh, engage with users in a real, like in a real way. Um, so yeah, I think it's like definitely the way of the future. It's, it's going to be hard to do for small operators. Um, just think about you know, like how many emails do you actually have? You know, we, we have a digital marketing platform uh, or email marketing platform. And a lot of times, you know, we are building the database for them through online ordering and when we go to our operators and say, okay, well, let's import an existing data list. They're like, what are you talking about? We don't have an existing data list. They don't have any existing, you know, so it's going to be tough for the smaller operators, but it's something that we certainly think is like uh, a problem that needs to be tackled. Um, it's a, it's a need. And I think, you know, the way I see like the best software um, that has like a B2B element and a user element connects the two and is in steps away in a good way. So, you know, you connect the restaurant owner with their users and engage them in good, in a good loyalty program or in a good, like, you know, uh, push notifications and that kind of stuff. Um, it's like the secret sauce. It's, it's really hard to do. The other, the other part is we have a lot of low tech operators. So even if they want that element of user engagement, maybe they don't have the time for it or even the technical know-how. So um, that's something actually, uh, which I don't know if I'm like, we're, we're not done with it, but it's a, it's about a week away, but we're going to be doing an automated email marketing uh, where the user data that we build for our clients, first of all, they always have that. So they can always download the PDF of their user information. When they use like MailChimp or something, they can do that to engage with their customers. We have an automated platform that basically lets them engage with their users in a, in a really, uh, impactful way hopefully as impactful as we think it's going to be um so with all things we do is we'll we'll do that and we'll build on top of it and we'll build on top of it and we'll talk to you know restaurants and we'll make sure that the product's nice and robust and it's something they can use um, it's also free by the way for operators it's, i think it's something that um we typically make um programs that let the restaurant engage with the users we like to build that really like um robust and let them you know uh 
let them have it for free because that's going to increase orders and that's going to increase our lifetime value and just keep our customer, our clients happy. So, yeah, I think a lot of people don't understand the complexity that is involved with building software that has a lot of moving parts in it. And then also just like the logistics of it, because, you know, as the founder of Gigabook, um, I learned this pretty quickly because putting an item on and off a calendar isn't inherently difficult. It's the 10,000 if thens that can occur afterward. And yeah. that's, that's the devil exists in those details. And that's where, and then also trying to have some kind of intuitive understanding about how things need to work where they need to work, why they need to do certain things. And then sensitivity and thoughtfulness around the fact that if you take 10 different businesses that quote, do the same thing, they don't do the same thing or they don't yeah. do it the same way. So you have to, you know, there's a lot of, of moving parts in there. And I would imagine part of what's challenging, you know, you, you were, we mentioned earlier, we were talking about Amazon and, um, you know, like the whole grocery store component or delivering food. And the, the thing is, is, is that's difficult because there's in a grocery store environment, like your lettuce can go bad in the produce aisle. And that's not always instantly entered into inventory, which means that people are buying stuff online that isn't at the store. And then the more that happens, the more they lose faith in the ordering system, the more frustration there is, blah, 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 blah. And there's a lot there's a lot of communication and stuff that goes back. And I think you had a really good point when you talked about being able to deal with or service like the quote, low tech operator. Cause look, you didn't start Dan's pizza because you're a software developer. That's not mm -hmm. usually the way it goes. You were a culinary expert or a cook or, and most people like in the smaller size businesses, started their business because they're passionate about doing something or building something. And next thing they know, they realize, oh, I could make some money doing this. And then they go another couple steps forward. And then they're like, oh, shit, mm -hmm. I have to learn how a business works. Yeah. And that's different. Like, that's yeah. different. Like, if you're a welder, like you might not, you might, I, I cannot weld anything, dude. But I, but I use computers all day. That makes yeah. sense. So, you know, my, my technical ability might exceed that person that does this or that. And, and, mm -hmm. you know, I would imagine that that, that is, well, a, it's probably tough to overcome when you build a product. Cause you got a lot of, you got a lot of onboarding. Now the flip side of that, one thing I learned, cause I remember when we first built Gigabook and we had some of the first users we had, we were like, God, these people are complaining. They're such a pain in the ass. Some of them, those people are still our users like years later. They're giving you gold. They learned, they, well, they <laughs> learned how to do it and right. that, you know, the, and they stuck because yeah. that, you know, like, so there was a real stickiness because no one likes to change these type of logistics things. Have you found that? I'm just curious. Have you found that same thing with, because you said you go back to 2009. So you were ahead of the curve on some of this, but I would imagine out of those 13,000 restaurants that some of those are, are on the original year one list. Yeah, actually. Yeah. We have quite a few that are still with us and like, it's nice to know that we might've been a component. Like I don't, I don't want, that's hubris. I don't want to be like, Oh, we're the, we're the reason yeah. they're successful. No, I mean, but we're, I'd like to think that we're, a you're part of it. You're part <laughs> yeah. of it. Yeah, we have I mean, quite a few. anything that anything that helps a business do things better, faster, cheaper is is very valuable, you know. And that I mean, I went through the same thing with Gigabook because it's like, 
you know, it's, it starts at 15 bucks a month and then $8 right. a seat after that, you know, it's not like, but the thing is, it's like, we would occasionally have someone, uh, you know, that would say, Oh, I don't know. This is kind of expensive. I'm like, it's 50 cents a day. Yeah. You know, at 50 cents a day to do some of the things that you're not doing well, like how many, how many opportunities did you miss? Like a good example as a service provider, like, and you can take say a massage therapist, if I'm getting a massage and that person stops to answer the phone three times and take an appointment, I'm not making another appointment. But if, if you can't schedule with that person while they're busy doing it, they're, Mm -hmm. they might go on down the line. So is that the calendar app? I, I meant to research that. A little. Is that the calendar app? Or yeah, that's actually that... what you scheduled to be on the show with. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, and, then, and that's, <laughs> you know, so, but, and part of that is, but you talk about differentiation. So as we, we founded Gigabook, um, you know, there, that was the rise, like no one had an appointment link then, you know, now everyone does. And, you know, you have some things like Calendly that are free. And you know what? Calendly yeah. does a great job if you want yeah. something free. And, yeah. and But with that, there's a lot of additional complexity. You have collection of forms, reminders, text messages, you know, emails, and then being able to customize it. So when we started seeing the space grow and things got crowded, we said, you know what? I think our, I, I actually said, I think our angle is being fully customizable. Because, and you know what, there's times when I'd flip a coin and maybe take a different approach, because I think that there's riches in the niches, you know, like you said, like, hey, our operators are the smaller ma and pa type shops, but we began to cater towards all, you know, people call me up and they'll be like, hey, I think my, I think my cousin would love Gigabook. Cool. What does she do? She's a hairstylist. I'm like, send her somewhere else. They're yeah. like, what do you mean? I'm like, because there's like six platforms that specialize in just that. Right. So we we went, our differentiation strategy was we catered to all the people that needed something more customizable and didn't have an industry specific booking platform. So most of our users have, when we've talked to them or survey them, there's one, maybe three things that we offer. And it's usually something like weird and honestly simple. Mm-hmm. You know, like they can customize one little part of it. And for us at the beginning was, uh, and now there's more competitors that do this and this is almost becoming standard, but it was, a. I remember in the very beginning, I was like, the fact that I can't create custom forms and collect data on the way to the booking, mm-hmm. it killed me. That was like the very thing. That was the thing that really popped the top off and made me want, and that was a big differentiator. Cause like, think about it as a salesperson and you're a sales director. If I can ask you three or four questions that you answer before I call you, that can change my whole entire approach to all of it. I mean, all yeah, yeah. of it. And you know, was, so was there, you know, you mentioned like, okay, the price thing. And, and I think that's a big thing for you guys. It's gotta be, cause I, I mean, I've read articles in the wall street journal about this massive bite that some of the delivery services are taken out of the restaurants and that's got to mm-hmm. sting. Your yeah. restaurants are like, Hey, I finally lowered. And some restaurants have lowered their costs dramatically by not having the dining room. Yeah. That was the, just- you know, the more expensive part of it. Yeah, they just up the cost. You know, there's always this is you know this is econ 101. Somebody's gonna pay that bill, right? It, so either the food costs go up, or there's more service fees. Something something in those in you know with that, um, it's always gonna there's always gonna be a fee, and it's always gonna be paid by somebody, whether it's the restaurant or the user. For you guys with uh, with Gigabook, did you build that out for yourself first? Like 
just oh yeah yes yeah, yeah that's like, kind of how we use we it ourselves yeah. well well what it, well you mentioned being a restaurant operator so for us i actually owned a, a ticket a ticketing business like a mm-hmm. ticket brokerage and we built the initial tools around that because we had so we had built a lot of our own tech we uh, built websites that built themselves and they generated themselves off of database tables which 10 years ago was pretty innovative now that's shopify you know so uh, but we did a lot of stuff and with that um, there just weren't things and tools like so we we would do things that we'd be delivering like you know, sending out hundreds of FedEx packages every day, but we would see things like people would be calling. They're like, when's my delivery shipping? When's my, we're like, we shipped it two days ago. And they're like, yeah. oh, it's on my porch. I see it now. You know, yeah. but we're, you know, but the thing was, is you ship out a hundred packages a day for months and that starts to compound and turn into a lot of phone calls. So for us, it started with the notifications and reminders that, um, you know, like we just built some simple, you know, web-based stuff. And then we started, we put a calendar in there cause we had, uh, and, and, you know, honestly, I, I wrote about this in my book, million dollar bedroom about creating it. I was like, yeah, we thought we'd be done with it. Like in six months when we thought we had built, had all the pieces. We're like, you just got to snap those Legos together. Three years later and hundreds of thousands of dollars, we collected our first money in subscription revenue. So, I mean, it was definitely like, not just like, hey, let's take these existing pieces and snap them together. And, And the things that were difficult with that were that if your product doesn't do everything someone needs, they're inherently unhappy with it. Sure. You know, yeah. like they may learn to live with it, but they are also unhappy with it in some regards. Now, I've also in my in my rapidly advancing age and experience, Ashish, um, <laughs> have learned that no software does everything everyone wants. So you got to kind of live with it. And, you know, I've talked to people on the phone. They're like, it only does 90 percent of what we need. I'm like, you're doing great. And they're yeah. kind of like taken back. Like, what? I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good. So. Now yeah, it's yeah, never going men- to be fully customized. <laughs> that, mentioning that pretty exist. good. Go, go over to menufy.com and order lunch or dinner, folks. Just check it out. And it, there's a link in the show notes. Now, today's episode is brought to you by fullscale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. We are about to end today's episode. And I end my episodes with the Founders Freestyle. I say my episodes. I'm not the only host of Startup Hustle. If you haven't noticed, we have given Tuesdays. That's happened a year ago. We gave Tuesdays over to Andrew Morgans, the CEO and founder of Marknology. Andrew will help you with your e-commerce brand, more specifically with Amazon brand acceleration. Tune in on Thursdays and join Lauren Conaway, the founder of Innovate Her, as she tackles many, many issues. Now, one thing you may have also noticed is that I am not on Fridays anymore. We have a series of guest hosts that are joining us and you will see a rotating cast of subject matter experts that are coming in. They're going to be doing short series about the stuff they know a lot about. And that has begun with Heather Steppe of the Casey Hempco company. And she is talking all about the cannabis business. That's right, people. Weed. It's a real business now. And it is a booming industry. And I wanted to make sure that those of you that are interested in that learn all about it, because man, it is not easy and it is not straightforward. So as mentioned, the Founders Freestyle, I want to give you a chance, Ashish, to say anything that we may have missed out, any of the key points that 
that you that you wrapped your arms around or any advice that you can give to other startup founders that might want to avoid some of the pitfalls that you may have experienced? Well, uh, yeah, I kind of touched on this before, but I'd say, so for Menufy, we have 80% of our team, like, so all associates come from a restaurant background and to founders, you know, so we had a, it's a long story, but uh, my brother and I and another partner had a terrible uh, startup, uh, but right before our successful startup. And I think one of the biggest problems is we didn't understand the industry we were selling to very well. And so for any of the co-founders or founders out there, I would say, you know, understanding the people that you're selling to is absolutely critical um, to making a, a really good product. It sounds, uh, it sounds like Matt, you did a lot of that yourself too. Uh, you know, with it take, you know, sometimes it takes some time. So be patient. Uh, you know, grind. It's not easy. Sometimes that six month project turns into three years. You know, they say it's a demanding. They say that entrepreneurship can be a demanding mistress. I think it's like having triplets. <laughs> it's it's even more, uh, you know, with a demanding mistress. Yeah, you, you had you had triplets with the mistress. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> and now now you have no free time and your life's in shambles. Um, but yeah, you know, stay like it's it's never going to be easy. You never get rich quick. It's always going to take a lot of hard work and sleepless nights and dedication. Um, so you know. It's not for the faint of heart, um, but uh, yeah, I think that's the takeaway. I uh, I say the same exact phrase a lot that entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. Um, you know, when it comes to, you know, like I said at the very beginning of the show, <laughs> it's a competitive world. Um, I mentioned this in my book, Million Dollar Bedroom, talking about, uh, you know, if you if you don't have competition or you're doing something and you are on the lead lap, not going to last, you know, there's, there's something about success, profits and innovation that shoot a signal flare up above what you're doing and brightly illuminate all of the details associated with it. Meaning you're going to have competition if you don't. And I think you always need to give a lot of credence to how you're going to stand out. Cause like I said, the, if your industry isn't crowded, it probably will be. And if it's not a crowded industry, then it's just not a big industry. Um, mm -hmm. So when it comes to standing out, I think that, you know, there's, you know, I, that back to that one one comment I made earlier about better, faster, cheaper, you got to offer that to the people that are using your product or paying you for your services. And, you know, as software providers, and the same thing as full scale, we are service providers, Menufy is a service provider for restaurants in many regards. And so, you know, anything that you do, you're going to constantly think about where you're down, where you're going to be down the road. I think one of the things that stood out is, um, you know, you, you said, oh, my brother's going to kill me if I mention price. Well, you know, price matters, I mean, especially in something like the restaurant industry. You know, there's only so much margin that can exist in a $14.38 order. So, right. you know, with, you know, 30% or 20% uh, and, you know, some of these, some of these, uh, uh, you know, apps and stuff take a pretty, pun intended, a pretty meaty portion of it. You like how, what I did there? Uh, pretty meaty portion right. of the of the order, but look, here's the thing that matters though, because that thing scales, and that that you know that that uh, dollars here uh, turn into bigger dollars, and that's what you know restaurants are typically playing for. And then you know other things just by standing out, and there's it, you know I say better, faster, cheaper. 
Um, how easy is it? You know, if you listen to the show regularly, you know, I'm a nut for onboarding. You know, how quickly do you get someone in and get them set up? Or, you know, you can do so much of that and you just got to think in advance. Like I've used this example before. Um, if you collect someone's zip code first in an onboarding sequence, you can fill out like five other fields and not have to ask later. You know what currency they use. You know what time zone they're in. You can make educated guesses about at least about their area code, you know, the city, you know, the state. And, you know, then you don't have to ask, which means that's faster to get someone in. So give a lot of I, I really think that the future of software and the and the just the future of usury in general, like what how people are going to use things is really just about how quickly they can, you know, you can get them started. And, you know, so give a lot of consideration to that because you you might be losing more people during the process than you're aware of. And, you know, I mean, overall, I think that that's, that's the advice that I have for those that want to stand out because uh, price, price alone doesn't get it done these days because you'll find in crowded industries that they'll just cannibalize, it'll cannibalize itself down to nothing. I mean, you see it all the time and that's a dangerous thing to be in. So anyway, good luck standing out everyone. I'll see you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.